and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, and it's just me today. Hummer will continue to be on the podcast, but his appearances may be a bit more sporadic as he continues to settle into dad life. But the Bearcat content train needs to carry on because there's lots happening. You've got buzz about Des Ritter, Sauce Gardner, Beavers, Pierce, Sanders. The NFL Draft is upcoming, and it's insane how much the national NFL media is talking about the Bearcats on a day-to-day basis. Obviously needed to chat about that a bit. We also need to discuss spring camp and who's going to replace all of this NFL talent. Um, So I needed someone to talk to who had some expertise, who had some insight, who had some maybe inside information from players and coaches and and teams. And so I was joined today by Keith Jenkins of the Cincinnati Enquirer, the Cincinnati Bearcats reporter for the Enquirer. We had a great conversation on all those topics I just outlined, and we finished with about 15 minutes or so of I I thought it was spirited conversation about the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball team, Wes Miller, what they're going to do in year two to sort of see improvement upon what was, you know, a disappointing finish to his first season. But without further ado, let's get straight into it with uh, my conversation with Keith Jenkins of the Cincinnati Enquirer. We are now joined by Keith Jenkins who covers the Bearcats for the Cincinnati Enquirer. Keith, welcome back to the Cincy Slang and Bearcat podcast. It's been so long, man. Thanks for having me. It has been a while. The podcast has been in a weird state. I continue to say we, despite the fact that you're only online here with uh, with myself. Hummer is going to be in and out on the podcast based on, on what the baby allows for. But uh, there's too much going on right now with the Cincinnati Bearcats football team both with spring football but obviously a lot of a lot of guys that are being talked about in the national media when it comes to the upcoming nfl draft and then there's plenty of talk to talk about as well with the basketball program which is going to be revamping the roster with a few open spots so to kick things off here i think we start with the the topic du jour which is the cincinnati bearcats draft prospects uh there's quite a few of them there's a few that are very much in the um they're, they're the topic du jour on all of the NFL network shows. And I think the first guy we should probably lead off with is the, the starting quarterback, former starting quarterback of the Cincinnati Bearcats and Des Ritter, who is being talked about now as, as more and more like a first round player. He's, he's spending time interviewing with the Steelers, the Panthers, the saints. How much time have you had to maybe touch base with Des and see where he's at and see what he's thinking about this whole process? Yeah, Des and I have spoke a little bit over this, these last several weeks. Um, I even asked him, you know, what kind of things, you know, are, are he and his agent hearing as far as where he could go and what teams. And look, you're at this point, you're hearing all kind of stuff. Like he said, he's heard everything from, you know, mid first to, you know, late first, early second. You know, you just you just you know, you don't quite know yet until we inch closer and closer to the big days. Um but the Steelers are definitely interested. Like I was just on Pittsburgh radio the other day and I dropped a bomb. I don't know if you saw it, but I, I, they asked me, what, what NFL quarterback does he remind you of? And it's a great question, right? Like what quarterback does Des remind you of? 
And I said, Patrick Mahomes. And everyone get, went, what? And I said, well, hold on, give me a second. Um, and, and obviously, you know, Des doesn't have the arm um, that, that, that Pat has. Um, you know, he's one of the most gifted throwers that we've seen, but Des can throw it, right? And I do think, and I do believe that Des is the better athlete. Um, so when you mix in his ability to run, but also, and I'm, I'm thinking about the Pat Mahomes that was coming out of Texas Tech, right? You said, hey, he needs to improve his footwork, as does Dez, right? He needs to improve his accuracy, particularly with the deep ball, as does Dez. Um, he needs more reps under center, you know, not just in shotgun, but under center, as does Dez. These were just some of the, the knocks on Patrick Mahomes. And I also think with Patrick, you know, he wasn't a guy that was asked to come in on the first day and start and be a franchise savior and to, you know, be that Pro Bowl caliber MVP, Super Bowl winning quarterback on the first day. I think that's got to be Dez. You know, if you're drafting him, you know, you're going to get an uber competitor, obviously a winner, a great guy, a, a positive attitude guy, a guy that you won't have to worry about, um, you know, being in the headlines and doing dumb stuff. Um, but I think he needs to be in a system where, hey, man, you know, and I, I talked I talk to Des about this. I said, what if the Colts drafted you? You know, what if you could go in and, and be under be under Matt Ryan for a season, you know, and just figure it out, you know, learn and grow. And you, you got a, a Super Bowl, you know, contending quarterback, a former league MVP where you can spend a season learning under. And I don't, you know, no disrespect to Matt Ryan, but I'm not sure how many throws he's got left. Right. Um, but I think that would be a perfect example of just, you know, Des having an opportunity to learn and grow for a year um, and then he can step in or, or even a year or two. And I, I suggested that to Des and he's like, yeah, that sounds good. You know, but if you bring me on and you get me in camp, it's going to be really hard to keep me off the field because I'm going to make it interesting and I'm going to be competitive. You know how Des is. Um, but no, he's heard from a lot of different teams. Um, and the Pittsburgh Steelers are definitely one of them. Now, I'm not sure if Mike Tomlin is just trying to throw you know, other teams off of his scent because he also, he also likes Malik Willis. So I don't know if he just wants people to think he loves all, he loves everybody. That way you don't know which way he's leaning. Um, but, but I think when you think of the Steelers and you think of the guy that Mike Tomlin is, very blue collar guy, um, a guy that, you know, gets it out of the mud and, you know, a guy that um, hard worker and wants that out of his players. And that's Desmond Ritter, right? He's a guy that wasn't given anything. He had to earn everything that he's gotten. He's improved year after year after year. Um, and the Steelers, you know, built the freaking the last 20 years, you know, on the back of a quarterback that didn't go to a major program, right? He wasn't a power five guy, but he was an athlete, a, a big arm. And, um, and it just, it just feels right. It feels like that would be a good fit for Desmond, um, in Pittsburgh, but we'll see. We'll see again. I, he's, he said, Des has said, you know, he's heard, he and his agent have heard all kinds of things. Um, he hasn't decided yet if he'll um, go to the draft. I think he's probably leaning towards staying home and being with his family in Louisville, you know, but if he gets some indication that he uses a solid, you know, solid, solid first round pick, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he and Saucer are in Vegas. So we'll see. We'll see. It's, it's made Cincinnati fans quite uncomfortable because there's a lot of overlap between Cincinnati Bearcats fans and then Cincinnati Bengals fans. And so with all right. of this Pittsburgh Steelers buzz, 
in myself included, it, it does bring a certain level of discomfort, you know, like, oh man, right. this guy that I've pulled for and rooted for and, and just loved following for the last four years could potentially be going to like the ultimate arch nemesis here in a few weeks. And, and if you look at it kind of clear headed objectively, if you're rooting for Des Ritter and you want your, uh, your alma mater, the Cincinnati Bearcats to have a starting NFL quarterback and you want to see him succeeding to me, that's kind of like the ultimate, that's one of the best outcomes No in, terms of, in terms of organizational stability Exactly. Top one or two head coaches in the NFL. Um, exactly. A team that knows how to draft receivers and, and build a defense. Like to me, if you're Des Ritter and looking for like, where can I go and, and really ha like have the most success? Pittsburgh right. is a great example of where to do that. I completely agree. You know, um, I think Des is, and we all know this, I think Des is a mentally tough guy so that if he goes to a situation where Maybe it's not the most stable franchise or they don't have the best weapons around him. Maybe the running game isn't great. The offensive line isn't great. You know, he's not a guy that's going to, you know, get discouraged and get down and fall on himself and just decide, you know, and I, you know, just didn't, you know, he's going to, he's a guy that's going to figure it out. But of course, if he can go to a stable situation that has a good foundation, has a good, even an offensive minded head coach, that's why I love the Colts. And I don't, I'm not saying that that's going to be an example or the or a potential landing spot for him. Um, I just think that it would just if, if somehow they would they would fall in there and, and, and go get him. Um, I like they got a great defense, right? And they got guys yes. on contract and um and they got Jonathan Taylor, who is a tremendous compliment that would be a tremendous compliment for Des. And again, and I don't want it, to it's I told Des this story the other day, um, because we, we got to talking about Matt Ryan and he was and, and Des was trying to wrap his head around the, that possibility. And um, when I was coming out of college, one of the offers that I had was Boston College. And I told Des this story. I was like, I decided to go to Boston College because Boston was freaking cold. And I wanted a, a college and a, and a university with more diversity. Um, so I decided not to go to Boston College. But that recruiting class was Matt Ryan. And I was like, darn it, man. I could have played with Matt Ryan. And that, that Boston College flipped. As soon as he got there, it became a really good program. Anyway. Um, so can, we, can we also dive into that and push you a little further, though, because you said you didn't want to go to the cold and you wanted more diversity. Where did you end up? Yeah. Toledo? I guess Toledo. I ended up at Toledo. Okay, Toledo. so you get the cold, but it definitely has more diversity, I suppose, than Boston. More diversity. But it, like what people don't know is um, the reason why I ended up going, the, the, the main reason why I ended up going to Toledo. And, and the story is, you know, Rick Minner gets fired. And I meet with D'Antonio. It's actually, I met with Trestle too, which is hilarious. Cause when we first met, he was like, man, you look familiar. And I was like, remember <laughs> there was a few years back we had a meeting, my mom. Um, and I just decided, I just, it just wasn't a good fit for me personally in that moment. Um, but the defensive coordinator, I was a corner. The defensive coordinator at Toledo was Lou West who played ball at UC. Um, and so he knew about Cincinnati and he knew the area. And I just got this warm feeling from him um, and a comfortable, familiar feeling from him. And that was where I ultimately going, I ultimately went to Toledo, but like I was this close to going to Boston College, but I got up there and I'm like, nope, this isn't gonna work. Uh, <laughs> Des was cracking up, I told him this story. Nah, but I just, I just think you're right. Speaking of the Steelers, great franchise. And I joked with Des too, I said, look, you know, I'm a Bengals fan, man. I don't want you to play for that daggone team, but I do think that it would be a great opportunity for you and you'll have an opportunity to play there early because their quarterback situation is 
as uncertain as it gets right now. Or I actually think there's a lot of certainty. It's trash. We're, we're certain. We're certain that it's a very bad situation <laughs> there you go, right now. Right? There you, you go. Know, you're and, and you're it, going into a season saying, you know what? We're going to rehabilitate Mitch Trubisky. That's our right. guy. No, nah, no. Nah. Right. That's it. We yeah, know no. there's certainty. It's bad. And, and like, and I, and I, and I don't want to pile on Mitch because I do think, I do think he's better than what we saw. Now, how better? Because I think he was they, the way that they managed that whole situation in Chicago was a freaking disaster. Um, but we'll find out how good is he really. Um, but I, but yeah, I mean, I, I do, I do want Des to go to a stable situation. I think the the example that the Pittsburgh radio guys pitched to me was, let's say Tom Brady was drafted by the Bengals. Would he be Tom Brady? Um, well, probably not. Thanks for making a shot at the Bengals. I appreciate it. You know, yeah, you want to go to a stable situation with a great head coach and a great staff and pieces around him. And the Steelers are, are a great, a great opportunity. So we'll see. We'll see how it falls. We'll see. Well, the one thing I want to make sure we touch on a little bit more before I before we move on to uh, to more topics here is this whole idea, this comparison, this wild and bold and 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 kind of strong comparison you made on Pittsburgh radio to Pat Mahomes, because yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the funniest thing to me was not necessarily the comparison. And I know we talked a little bit offline about it. It was that the next day, um, Dan or Orvlosky, who's yeah. who is kind of Des Ritter has become his sort of muse recently. He just he's loves studying his film. And he said it's not necessarily that everything, you know, it's not necessarily the athleticism that's popping. It's not a huge arm. It's everything he's doing at the line of scrimmage. It's sort of that game management, the intangibles, the leadership, the sort of control of the game. And so he went and made the comparison today to Alex Smith, which I just found hilarious um, coming after your comparison because of the fact that you've got this connection between Alex Smith, game manager, Pat Mahomes, sort of game destroyer that next season with Andy Reid. The the reason I guess I was most curious about the comparison is Des does have kind of wild, you know, athleticism that's sort of underappreciated because I think, I think it's mostly because of how we ran an offense at UC for three years. It was a run dominated offense. Um, I would say it's, it's very, it's about ball control, low turnover, not a ton of risks, not a lot of stuff that was off script. And those are all things that I associate Pat Mahomes with. Um, What, I, I, I suppose, are you thinking that if you're projecting it out to say like this guy has more in his, in his package, in his ability that he can actually display when you put different, more explosive talent around him in the NFL? No, that's, that's exactly what it is. Look, I, I, I don't think he'll ever have the arm of Pat Mahomes who does, right? Like, yeah. Like one guy, Aaron Aaron Rogers, Rogers. Maybe, yeah. maybe Josh Allen, like, you know, maybe, but that's it. But it's, it's one, I'm, I am giving credit to, to Des. He does have a strong arm, right? It's not, it's not, it's not Pat's, but it is a big arm and he's a great athlete. He's got that dual threat ability. Um, and he's fearless. Like Des plays fearless football. And I think that was one of his, you know, best traits this year is just, you know, he's not quite the gunslinger, but he took some risks. And I think he took some calculated risks and some, some intelligent and mature risks this season. Like I think three years ago, you know, 2020, night 2019, we're like, oh, you know, but we saw his growth and his ability to more readily recognize coverages and, you know, see a zone and see man and see when a team is in, in man-to-man coverage as he's motioning, you know, Trey Tucker over or Josh Wiley over, you know, we saw his growth, man. So I think in the right system, 
I think we could really unlock something special. I don't think there's a franchise changing quarterback in this draft. You know, I don't think if you get, there's not a Joe Burrow in this draft. There's not a Josh Allen, a Patrick Mahomes, you know, but as far as we're just talking strictly skill set and the potential, you know, I do think, you know, if given the development in the right situation with his big arm, with his athletic ability, his ability to run, his ability to extend plays, um, his ability to just break off a random 40, 50, 60 yard run, you know, that athleticism, I think if, if given the right space and the right opportunity to succeed and to nurture, um, I do think Des could, could end up being a special quarterback, no doubt about it. No I don't. Th- I don't think people will be blown away with an Alex Smith comparison, and I don't. I agree with you that there's not necessarily a franchise changer in in this class. There's nobody that I look at like a Josh Allen who's a, a mutant that can just come in and if he if you if you kind of lock in or tap into every ounce of his potential, he's going to lift your franchise to being a Super Bowl contender year in year out for a decade probably. However. To me, I look at Des like a franchise stabilizer. Like this guy's going to come in. You know exactly what you're going to get mentally, yeah. uh, attitude-wise, emotionally. And then his physical traits are, are fantastic. And so if you compare him to Alex Smith with a bigger arm, that's a very nice quarterback. Because Alex Smith was always – his teams won. His teams yeah. won in the playoffs, made some runs, consistently you know, ripped off 10 games, 10 wins. But what he never had was sort of that over-the-top ability – the ability to improvise in the playoffs. If Des can sort of be that hybrid Alex Smith with a little bit more explosiveness, that's a very interesting player. I'm offended by the Alex Smith comparison because Alex Smith doesn't have a 4-4-40, okay? So no, hang on, hang on. Alex Smith can can move. Can he I'm, not saying, I'm not saying he's slow, but he's not Desmond Ritter, right? Like, <laughs> there, there, it's not – that's not – I don't think there's a comparison there as far as athletic ability, but that look, I don't, I don't mind. Alex okay. Smith. Alex Smith ran a four, seven Okay. Fair enough. There we go. Right. He's like, got game speed. Wanna, he's got, there we go. Yeah. No, I, no. I, I am. And I even like, if you've listened back to the audio, I said, now I want to reel it back a little bit. <laughs> I even said that, but I said, I'm comparing homes entering the NFL and what those question marks were. They're the same question marks that are around Des, like, and he addressed those question marks. And now look, and I'm not saying he's going to be a freaking, you know, NFL MVP and a Super Bowl champion, but I do think we've given the right opportunity and the right staff. Look, what, what would Patrick Mahomes be if he didn't have Andy Reid and, and Eric Bieniemy? And and I think we're going to find out a lot without having Cheetah on the outside. And, and look, he's got the best tight end in the sport. Shout out to Travis Kelsey. Shout out to Travis Kelsey. I'm not saying that you know, but look, a quarterback, a lot of times is as good as its weapons, right? Like, I mean, if you, if you throw him on the jets are the jets a 500 football team, I don't think so, you know? And it's, so I think Patrick Mahomes, as good as he is, he's benefiting from a really great system and a lot of freaking great talent around him. I'm not trying to take anything from him, but I mean, it's, it's, it's fair. Like without those pieces around him, how good is Patrick Mahomes? I'm saying he's not great, but it helps to have those things around you to, to help you, you know, reach your highest ceiling. For sure. And that's why if you're, if you're a Des Ritter fan, you want to root for organizational stability. You want to root for great head coach. And there's a few, op- few options out there. There's not a ton of them, but, <laughs> but there is, there is one that's sort of glaring out there. Um, ben Solak was on the Ben Simmons podcast talking about Des Ritter being one of the biggest trash talkers like, I don't know where he got this reporting from. I had not heard this, that Des Ritter had like a mean streak on the field. Is this something I, I missed? Have you ever heard of this before? 
not as like anything that's out of the ordinary. I think okay. when you're down field level, he talks trash, but it's he not- was saying it in a good way. In, in like a, this guy, you know, will like look up, you know, bad uh, or he'll look up his opponent, find sort of things he can take digs at him on and during the week. And I was kind of like, wow, I don't remember hearing this about Des, but he does seem no. like he's got a certain arrogance on the football field in a good way. Like I'm, uh, no, I'm I confident and I will, uh, you know, he might nod and, and chirp a little bit to, to other players. No, I agree with that. And like, remember, so I took this job in June of 2020. So my first season was that 2020 season and then the 2021 season. And entering that 2020 season, it was a legit competition. Like, it wasn't Dez's job. He and Ben Bryant, he had to earn that thing. And then ultimately, he did what he did in 2020. And then the 2021 season, they told Ben, hey, man, this is Dez's team. And that's what led Ben to go to Eastern Michigan. Um, but what Des would tell us when we would ask him about the competition is he would say, no, there, there's no competition. This is, this is my job, you know? So he has that confidence, that arrogance, not, and I almost think arrogance is, has a negative connotation to it. He's absolutely yes. confident. He's, he's, he's confident in his abilities and in the work that he puts in. Des works his butt off, man. Like for all of us who have watched this program and even though I wasn't here for his freshman year, his, his rookie of the year year, um, the AC rookie of the year. You know, even though I wasn't, I wasn't here for that, I watched that from afar. And to see his growth as a passer from then to now is just tremendous, man. And like, so I think when we look, when we look at Dez and, you know, he, 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 he's such a, he walks with an arrogance and a confidence, but he's earned it because he's, he's put in the work and put in the effort. And I think too, like he's got a team and he's had a team that has bought in. They, they bought in his abilities, his leadership, you know, what he's selling these guys. And, and that's huge. And I think that'll play, that'll pay huge dividends at the, at the next level. Cause he's such a guy that, you know, even as a rookie, you're going to be like, yo, this guy knows what he's talking about. Like, he's not a guy that's going to be talking over his head and saying crazy things. You know, he, he never gets too high, gets too low. And I think that's a credit to his success. Like he just, when, when things weren't going well in, in the army game in 2020 and, and, People are like, uh, you know, is this uh, the South Florida game? You know, literal literal callings for for the for benching of Des. Right. Yeah. But I don't think Des ever wavered. And then we had that COVID pause. He comes out of that pause and he's a different player. And he, he kept his confidence where it needed to be, sort of to trust the guys around him. All of a sudden, we get the SMU, and the rest is history. I mean, that SMU game changed everything. You know, he had the game of his life, and now you know it's it's firmly his job and no one else's. And now we're talking about Des and, you know, Heisman Trophy conversations and this and this and that, right? Um, so I don't know. I, th- I just think if I'm if I'm an NFL GM and I'm a head coach, I'm looking at him from day one at, at Cincinnati and, and what he was able to do, how he was able to improve consistently, um, how he was able to lead, how he was able to go into Notre Dame and play well and lead that team to that, that victory. Um, all of those things matter. It's just not one game. It's not one year. It's not one season. Um, he was able to improve year after year after year. And you can only imagine that that improvement is only going to continue when it gets to the NFL. Well, folks are probably going to criticize me for spending 20 minutes talking about Dez and his draft stock, but I will say this. He's, he's one of the winningest quarterbacks in college football history. Going to miss the guy. And this is, and frankly, this is probably the last chance I ever have to really, you know, expound on this guy's talent and his contributions to the program. He's the face of this draft class, I would say, for the Cincinnati Bearcats, but he's probably not even going to be 
the first Bearcat selected in the NFL draft. Um, and that belongs to, um, as Luke Fickle calls him, Ahmad Gardner, uh, soon to be Sauce Gardner once he gets drafted is what Luke Fickle was telling Rich Eisen. Uh, and Rich Eisen, it's, this is another national NFL guy, highly respected, talking about he, he wants the New York Jets to take Sauce Gardner at number four. We don't need to go into as much depth on, on Sauce. We know the talent. We know um, the, the, the performance on the field, never giving up a touchdown, some crazy red zone numbers. Yeah. Uh, but he's sort of, you know, he's the other highlight of a draft class and a draft that's going to be extremely special for the Cincinnati yes. Bearcats program. And I think people aren't necessarily realizing that Luke Fickle, obviously the recruiting classes continue to improve. The pedigree of, of high school talent that's coming in um, continues to sort of go up another level. And that's all before, like we've seen the development of these players, but this is all happening before the nation's going to see a draft class where you see five, six, maybe more Bearcats selected in the NFL draft. How do you, how do you envision this draft impacting the program going forward? This is going to be the biggest draft in the history of the program, and it's not even close. The record for the single, the record for the most Cincinnati Bearcats taken in one draft is six. I think we'll see at least seven, at least seven. I mean, you, it's, it's, you know, we we talk about Sauce, we talk about Dez. Darian's going to get drafted. Um, Jerome Ford's going to get drafted. Kobe Bryant's going to get drafted. Pierce uh, is going to get drafted. Pierce is going to get drafted. So, I mean, you, 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 when you start to pile it up, you know, Brian Cook's another one. He might be, he might get in there. I th- but I think of the eight guys who were at the NFL Combine, seven of those are definites. The other eight is Brian. My J, another, another definite. My, my J is going to get drafted, no doubt right. about it. But then we think about guys, too, that are some sleepers. Um, you know, could Marcus Brown, could Curtis Brooks, you know, sneak in there late? You know, those, those are possibilities. Um, and I also think, you know, guys like those two guys, but also a guy like Joe DeBlanco, I think if, if, if these guys get into a camp and if it's in the right situation, like if, if let's just say the Browns pick up, and I'm just saying the Browns, because typically, you know, when you sign a free agent deal, you're typically close to where your, uh, where your university is. You know, maybe the Bringles will bring in Joe or, or the Browns will, whatever. Um, but his work ethic is insane. Um, it's, it's unmatched. And we've, we've seen it since day one he, he got here. You know, he was a special teams player and he made it, to, got, he got to the point where they could not keep him off the field. And once he got on the field, he just made 100 tackles. It was, you know, routine. Um, he's a sleeper, man. And I, I know he's not a great athlete and he's not a fast guy, but man, he's just got this hellacious work ethic. Um, he reminds me a little bit. And again, I don't want to throw out a really ridiculous comparison and people lose their minds. But Luke Keekley, you know, he's not the greatest athlete. He's not the biggest, the fastest, the strongest, but he's just relentless and he will get after you. And he just won't stop until he figures it out. And I, so I just think, and I think too, like that's a, that's a common, a commonality of these Luke Fickle guys. All these guys are blue collar, hard workers, you know, um, you know, they, they were given a whole lot. They had to earn this. He, he, he recruits these guys who maybe didn't have, you know, 40,000 offers coming in and he's developed these guys into legit professional athletes. And this is going to be a special draft class. I remember talking to him before last draft with Derek Forrest and James Wiggins and those guys. And he said, this is only the beginning. You know, what we're going to see this year is just a precursor to what is about to happen the following year. And he was right, man. 
And, you know, next year could be a special one too. It may not be as big, obviously, but guys like Josh Wiley and Arquan Bush and, you know, maybe Trey Tucker. I mean, this is, this will be another, you know, special class next year, but this class is the signature of the Luke Luke Fickle tenure and is a sign of Cincinnati is here. It's, it's here. Like, you know, whether it or not this isn't a one and done team this isn't a you know a flash in the pan they got one run and he's going to keep churning them out and 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 they got to be ready Cincinnati is going to be and then only is going to improve you know as we get to the big 12 and and the stage gets bigger and brighter and the money gets more and the resources and um so yeah this is going to be a special draft a record-breaking draft and um you know it's going to be a fun three days just to watch you know, these guys get rewarded for all the hard work that they put in here. Sauce, Sauce and Dez, it's very locked in sort of where things are going to happen. It's going to, they're going to get their answers quickly. They're not going to be waiting around very long. Based on what you've read, heard, talked to people um, on uh, different NFL teams, maybe talk to some of the players. Who, who are you looking out for to maybe surprise people with where, where they end up in the draft? Like they're going to, you might be surprised to see blank in the third round or the fourth round, just guys where, you may not be expecting it, but this is someone who who might surprise you with when you see their name called. Alec Pierce. Period. Like, I don't think I, I joke with I joked with him and I've joked with, you know, Justin Williams and Chad Brendo and the other and Dan Hoard and the other guys who are on the beat often. And I said, um, if he was black, we'd be having a different conversation. <laughs> and I'm joking. But like what I mean by that is. He is a great athlete, great 40 right. elite vertical. Like, like he, if he was black, we'd be talking about him being up there with some of the other guys. But when you talk to NFL scouts, they wonder, they, you know, is he functional? Is he stiff? You know, can he get out of his breaks? And, and then I'm like, did you watch the film? Like, did you, did you see him create space every single time? Did you see him break away and, and, and get 50, 50 balls every single time? Um, phenomenal, phenomenal athlete. And I think in Indy at the pro day, you just see like, now this guy's different. Like this guy is, is a really phenomenal athlete. And when you put on a film, it just, it, you just can't ignore it, you know? So I think he's going to surprise some guys, you know, it only, it only takes one team to fall in love with you. And when you break down his film, you break down the measurables and the times that he has compiled, it's all there. It's all there. And, you know, again, it's it, one team's going to say, look, if we pass up on this guy, we're going to regret it. So I do think, I do think either he or my and my is another guy. I don't think that, and Luke has said this, he wasn't quite played uh, the way that he would be played in the league, right? Like they played him a little bit differently than he would project in the NFL. I think, you know, so I think if you're a team looking at his measurable measurables and his film and what his potential is and not just look at MyJ's numbers, because if you just look at his numbers, they're a bit skewed. Um, but I think MyJ is a guy that MyJ and Alec, I think, are going to compete for that third Bearcat off the board. It's obviously Sauce, Dez, and then it's either MyJ or Alec, and then Jerome and Darian and the others. Um, but Alec Pierce is a guy that um, is going to surprise us. And I think Bearcat fans know how elite he was. I think he's going to get in the league and go, wait, who is this guy? Where did he go to school? What? You know, he's one of those guys, man. So I think, you know, we know about him. The rest of the world is going to know about him very, very soon. 
my dream for Pierce is is that I know of a, a team up north that just re-signed a quarterback, an aging quarterback, to a huge, monstrous, I think, three-year extension with a fourth-year option. Green Bay is in desperate need of a receiver. They've they've obviously they've been able to look past skin color and draft a wide receiver uh, named Jordy Nelson in the past, who is extremely productive. Not in the West Welker mold, not in the Julian Edelman mold. In the mold of I'm going to beat you downfield. I'm going to win jump balls. I'm going to be incredibly athletic and big. And, and that's the kind of franchise where if Pierce ends up in that kind of circumstance, um, it's sort of ideal for him. And I think I you're right. I do think you're right that, you know, this is a guy who Feldman had him on his freaks list, his measurables, his size, the, the vertical, the tape showing him winning jump balls in the end zone. Um, there's going to be a, a franchise out there that's, and look, with Cooper Cup being the most productive receiver, one of the most productive wide receiver seasons in history, if there's no, ever no. a time to sort of be, you know, stop looking at certain molds, this is no, the year. Right. So I do think that um, he would be a candidate for me too to sort of surprise people and maybe end up in the second or third. Patriots. Patriots. <laughs> and I'm not I, even I want a better quarterback for that guy. Mac Jones. Patriots. Patriots would be a bad sign because that, t- no. that franchise cannot draft receivers. I'm not rooting for it. I just could see it. Like, I, because I think if I'm Bill Belichick, you know, they drafted Nikhil Harry, who, if you remember seeing him at ASU, he was a freaking monster. Like, he, right. there's, there's nothing he couldn't do. That hasn't quite happened in the NFL. They still need a receiver who can take the top off. And I don't know if Mac Jones is the guy. I don't know. I think this, the verdict is still out on him. Um, but I could see Bill Belichick going, we got a pretty good history of white receivers here. <laughs> I mean, you know, and I'm just, I'm just like, in all seriousness, you know, I, I think that Bill, you know, he has done a good job in a lot of drafts of taking some flyers on some guys who end up panning out. Um, and I think that this could be one of those. And, and I do think, I think Josh McDaniels, that loss is huge. Um, for the development of Matt Jones and that offense. But, you know, we'll see how it works out. Do you know who he's talking to? Like, have you, have you heard what teams have sort of reached out to him to poke around at all? No, I mean. Is it the, too many? Easy answer. Is, is it impossible to sort of, you know, gauge? No, it, it's 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 too early to tell because, I mean, they've heard from everyone. You know, I think yeah. th- we're going to find out. I mean, we're still, you know, we're still weeks away. That's you know, right. Kind of trickles. I mean. Guys are still going on. They're flying to these teams and going to their facilities and meeting with them, um, trying to figure out if, if, if he's the match or, if, if you know. So there's still a long process here ahead before we get to April 28th. Um, like I talked to Jerome Ford and I asked him and he's like, I'd love to tell you, but like I've literally heard from every single team. Like I don't I can't. Then, they, you know, they, I've heard third round and fifth round and fourth round and high second. And so I think as this thing sort of trickles down. You know, we're going to get a better idea of, of where these, you know, where these guys could land. But it's, it's still very, very early, even though it's April. Um, it's still very early in the draft process. So we have all these guys that we're talking about with the draft. Um, it's obviously going to be a, um, you know, a legendary draft class for the Bearcats. And it's funny to think that the playoff felt like a sort of peak or a climax for the program. And it's certainly not like this is, that was, that was honestly just the, the kind of wake up call for the nation to say, Hey, Luke Fickle is building something incredibly special in Cincinnati. The move to the big 12, like you mentioned, gives more resources. And now for the, for the recruits across the country to say, Hey, here's what we're doing from a developmental standpoint with lower ranked prospects, right? Bring your talent here, bring your physical pedigree here. 
we're going to make you into a monster. We're going to get you to the NFL. I think it's a great, a great look for the program overall, but that obviously means there's plenty, plenty of talent to replace this next coming season. And with, with Luke fickle wanting to be a top 10 program, the expectation has to be, that there's not a huge dip in performance. Sure. Even if you lose a quarterback of Des Ritter's status or a secondary, including Kobe Bryant and sauce Gardner, there needs to, we need to see that pipeline of development and, and replacing that talent. So I do want to kind of start working our way through some of these position groups and, and maybe some of the interesting matchups in camp. You alluded to Ben Bryant in 2020 being one in, in a quarterback competition with Des Ritter. Uh, fast forward two years, and he's in a quarterback competition with Evan Prater. That's the most notable training camp battle that's happening right now. How are you viewing that so far through spring camp? That's the question that everybody wants to know. Like, what are the, which guys went in? Um, it's very early. And I know that's not the answer that people want. It's really hard to tell, man, because, you know, on one hand, look, Ben's the better thrower, okay? But Evan Prater is hands down the better athlete. And that's not even close. And we know that, right? Not even close. Not even close. We we saw that. And that's no disrespect to Ben. He'd acknowledge that. Um, But I think fans who remember seeing Ben Bryant um, don't remember that Ben Bryant. Imagine a Ben Bryant who started all last season, who got a lot of experience, who threw a lot of touchdowns last year, who got just a wealth of, of knowledge and being able to lead a program and, that was Ben Bryant last year. We see that growth, right? Like we were, we see that in Ben. Um, you know, don't be surprised if on September third, it's number six who's under center because um, he's 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 looked really good. Um, but I think both guys have a long way to go. I mean, it's only April. Um, I think this battle is going to go way into higher ground. Um, I do think it's going to be one of those situations where, you know, Luke may not make a decision until, you know, the last week of August or, you know, right before we they get on the plane to head theirs to Arkansas. So um, it's going to be a battle that goes all the way down to the wire. And, and I think one of the reasons why you're not going to see uh, a public spring game um, on Saturday yeah, the weather is supposed to suck. Which, by the way, Cincinnati, come on, like pull it together, pull like, it together, Cincinnati. Come on, this is killing me. Enough uh, is enough. <laughs> but no, it's it's um, it's supposed to be rainy and maybe even snowy and and cold and but also maybe more importantly, it's going to be very windy according to the forecast. And look, you get dead or you get uh, Ben and you get Evan out there in the middle of this wind and you know, the wind is throwing the ball left and right and fans are out there, you know, one, it's not going to look good. Fans are going to freak out. Like, wait a minute, two guys are battling for Desmond Ritter's spot. Um, but also on a, on a, on a more serious note, every day Luke Fickle and his staff are evaluating these guys, not just these guys, but every guys, because there's a lot of competition battles going on out there, but he needs um, conditions that he can just really truly put forth legitimate, effective uh, evaluations where he can say, okay, this guy had a better day today and da, da, da. So to put those guys out there, it's just a wasted day. And he's just, if you're a football coach, you couldn't care less about spring game. We're trying to get reps and practice and looks and, 
And so the best way is the best way is just to get out of those elements and get under that bubble and really let these guys continue to compete and get some work in. Um, and that's really, I think, the bulk of why this thing is going to be indoors because it's just with the elements, man. We can't we can't put forth some some solid evaluations. Um, but it's early. It's early, and I, I'm not sure that one guy has a huge edge over the other. I think if if I could guess and and just based off of what I've seen so far. I'd give Ben the slight edge only because he's done it. Um, Evan still hasn't, you know, done it at this level. And I think that experience last year really helped Ben. I, helped it, I think it helped his confidence to show him that he can play Division I football and really be a leader of a team. Um, but this thing is far from over. It's going to be a situation and a battle that we see long into higher ground, for sure. We saw t- a top 10 team last year, Notre Dame, run an offense that featured multiple quarterbacks and it's not completely unheard of in the NFL. I'm sorry, in college football, do you, could you envision a scenario where there actually, there is a starter, there is sort of like the guy who is dubbed to be the starting quarterback, but that they, I I kind of envision it more like if Ben Bryant wins the job that they still want to feature that explosive running uh, style of Evan Prater and start getting him some actual real game time reps in a real game, could you see a scenario where they're actually featuring both quarterbacks during a game? No, I could. And I think, I think what Cincinnati fans need to think a little bit about as we're, as we're, you know, thinking toward this new season that's, that's approaching is you go from a heavily influenced Mike Denbrock offense to two very young minds in Gino Gadulli and Mike Brown, um, who are, younger and um, they have a lot of fresh ideas and they're innovative and they have been dying to have greater, you know, say in what goes on there on game day. Um, You know, when you talk to Gino about some things that he's cooking up in his mind, he just starts to grin. Um, And if you remember Gino as a quarterback, he slang that thing, man. Like he, <laughs> he loved to think, throw that thing slang around. Slang that thing. So, well done, sir. Well done you know with I mean? the slang. So, yes. <laughs> so with that, and then you know, having Mike Brown now being the you know passing game coordinator, not that Mike Brown, this Mike Brown, um, the the younger black Mike Brown, um, having him, you know, he's he's again a younger guy, but also he has a firm grasp on. Look, this is a really freaking impressive group of pass catchers. And I say pass catchers and not wide receivers because, of course, you got two tight ends who are legit um, with Josh Wiley and Leonard Taylor. But then guys like Trey Tucker and Tyler Scott and Jaden Thompson and Chris Scott and, and Blue Smith and, and Nick Mardner. And, I mean, they just got so many guys. Um, I think we're going to see a lot of different weapons, a lot of innovation, a lot of different, you know, uh, play calls. And I think we'll see a lot of different running backs, you know, um, that's another battle that's interesting, but I think Ethan Wright wants to play and, and Chuck wants to play and you got the Montes who want to play. So, you know, we're going to see a lot of different weapons because all these guys can play. And that's the, that's the challenge when you have hit on so many different recruits as Luke Fickle has is now you just got all these guys who can play and, but I think with the innovation and the new voices and the new the new thoughts and the new processes that we'll see with Mike Brown and, and Gino at the helm of that offense, I think we're going to see a lot of different looks. And I definitely think the potential of seeing both Ben and Evan out there, um, you know, sharing some reps. You know, you could see 
Evan motion out wide and then come back in and, you know, take a direct snap, you know, with Trey coming on one side. And I mean, who knows, man, but I really think we're going to see um, some crazy, crazy things because they just have the weapons to be able to do that. And you have an offensive line that's expected to be much better than last year. Another year, they're all back. Um, Mets looks amazing. Um, so this is going to be uh, a fun offense this year. I, I know there's a lot of new faces, but I think we'll see um, just some excitement and some big plays and some fun plays and some some innovation that we haven't seen from this UC program since Luke Fickle took the helm. In many ways, it's kind of the perfect year to have the coaching turnover we did. You know, you've got roster turnover and you don't want to necessarily pair that with a lot of staff turnover. Now, I always say that if you keep the head of the snake, if Luke Fickle's intact, we're fine. That's where yeah. that, it's a trickle down culture thing going on here at Cincinnati. Yeah. Um, but with the talent looking so different, quarterback's going to look a lot different next year. The wide receivers, while established, they're very different. Like when you're running yeah. everything through Tucker and Scott, it's going to be much more speed based and it's going to be sure. maybe getting more yards after catch and things of that nature. I think having a fresh perspective, this could be the perfect year to do that. Um, and I, I'm, you know, I'm openly team Prater in terms of what I'm pulling for. I'd love to see Prater win this job because of what I saw in glimpses, brief glimpses, but the, the shiftiness and the explosiveness in the running game, I think is obviously tantalizing. And if he can put it together in the passing game enough, I'd love to see him be the guy, but I do think at the end of the day, it comes down to trust in terms of not turning the ball over. So if he's not ready to be a consistent thrower and not turn the ball over, I do think that it's going to be a pretty clear decision to go with the more reliable uh, passer in that case and Ben Bryant. But I think that Prater's, Prater's athleticism is something you have to get on the field. And I'd love to see our coaching staff figure that out no matter what happens with this competition. Yeah. Trust Luke. Trust Luke. I think <laughs> and Luke, we trust. Say, he's earned the trust. You know, he's earned it. He's, he's showing you that yes. right decision. So, you know, he has, and, and we never, we never on this podcast got into the bench Des game because of the idea of in, in fickle. We trust this is the guy who's in camp making yeah. the decisions. He's making the best decision for the team. Um, you obviously have to, to trust that to an extent. Um, there's just, you know, ex I, that's just my emotions, uh, pulling for Prater and, and what I you're think that the, he could potentially be. I know I'm not alone in that. I know not I'm not unique. <laughs> I know that you are not the only one. Yeah. So the, the other big departures in my mind are what we, we had a special secondary last year, um, yeah. with Kobe and with sauce. And I think it's impossible to expect whoever's replacing them next year, um, uh, to have that type of impact defensively where the coaches can basically just go single coverage and know that we're going to be okay. I wish they would have done it more, frankly, in the Alabama game, but how, how are things shaking out right now in the secondary for the Bearcats? Well, I think fans need to remember there was a really special third corner on that team, right? That's Our right. That's right. It's really freaking good. As it looks, it looks like he's going to take that sauce position. Now it's early. I think they're filling it out. What they're telling us is that they want all of the corners to know all three spots. So whether you're your field level boundary, you're the nickel corner, you're not putting Arquan at the nickel because he already knows that. That's what they're telling us. The truth is they're putting Arquan in the boundary because he's the best corner on the team and that's where he's going to play come September. I mean, that's just the truth. So he's the best corner on the team. I remember I, I, I asked um, Dana Hogerson, uh, 
about the corners. And this was before the AAC championship game. And he said, well, num number one's the best corner in the country. You know, he's the All-American. He gets all the love. Well, of course, unless number seven is the best corner in the country. And, and well, then number nine might be better than both of them in a year. So um, he was just saying how, look, Sauce, Kobe, uh, and, and, and Arquan. Arquan's great. He'll be one corner on one side. And the battle right now is who's going to be on the other side. Now you got Justin Harris. Um, he had a neck injury last season. He's coming off of that. He's looked really good in camp. Again, it's only April, guys. Um, but he's looked good early on. And then Bumpus. And, and he's another guy who got some reps last year. Obviously not a lot. But um, he's a guy that was sitting behind Sauce last year. Um, and he's a guy I think that will likely compete for that second corner spot. That's another battle that I think will go well into higher ground. Um, you got guys like Shepard and they got, and again, like, and even JQ Hardaway, he won't JQ, start. I know the, I know the, the, the tantalizing freshman. JQ. Yeah. But I'm going to tell you this, dude, dude is, what is he? 17, 18. Dude is an adult. He is grown. Yeah. He is huge. He was on that LeBron James meal plan. Dude, like whatever they're feeding that man, like doing it, he is a monster. He makes plays every single day. Um, he's still a freshman. So there, and he's an early enrollee. So there's still a lot that he doesn't know. And he has a lax questions a lot, but just the pure talent and gifts are there. Um, I don't think he's going to be that second corner. Um, but he, but remember, Sauce got out. Sauce there. didn't start the year like that, right? Like they didn't think Sauce would be Sauce. He was in a position where they had to throw him out there, and he never got off the field again. So Luke literally told the story today on Rich Eisen. Like that's what he yeah. said. He's like, I we needed to give these guys a rest, put Sauce in for a series, pick six, couldn't keep him keep him off the field after that. No, and he he told us that last season. I think it was like when we were talking about it. Like so that that wasn't the first time he told that story, but. Um, Sauce, they both have just God-gifted ability and just, you can't teach that. You can't teach the length and you can't teach the ball skills. Um, he is a special player, you know, and I, I don't, I don't think that he'll be that second corner, but, you know, he could sneak into that nickel spot, right? Like, I mean, I, you know, cause you'll still need, they're still going to play that same five, you know, defensive back defense. Um, so who's going to get that third spot? But I just think, you know, look, losing Sauce, losing Kobe, two All-American corners, probably the two greatest corners in the history of the program. I don't know if that's debatable. Shout out to Mike Mickens. I'm not sure you're up, brother. Um, but Arquan is great. And to be able to lose those two guys but still retain a guy like Arquan, a guy who will be in the NFL in two years, um, a guy who is seasoned and knows and has experience and to have him still in that room will only bode well for that entire group. And then you throw Kerry Combs' his crazy ass, um, you know, at the helm of that room. I, I don't think um, – I think that obviously it's going to look different. And when you lose to All-Americans, you're going to take a little bit of a hit. But their mission is to keep it going and to keep that success going. And I think they have the right people at the head of that room um, – to have another batch of great corners right after those two that we're just loud losing. So um, it should be a good year for the corners. I think again, for sure. The unit that was most obvious to pencil in is maybe the problem 
area for the Bearcats last year was the offensive line because of some turnover, because of, uh, you know, it wasn't like it, we lost uh, James Hudson the the year before. And so when you lose that type of talent and have to replace it, and there's a, a lot of young players, it was easy to sort of pencil them in as, Hey, this is the biggest question mark. And we saw it. It didn't honestly rear its head in the, in the biggest way until the, the playoff game, which is against, you know, uh, Will Anderson and a, a ridiculous Alabama Crimson Tide team. So this year we're expecting the same five starters. You mentioned that, you know, Mets is looking incredible. There's a yep. new offensive line coach and Mike Cummings. Yeah. Are they, are they, I imagine they're expecting the same starting unit. What do you, are they just expecting that the development that's happening there is going to actually make this maybe less of a weakness and more of a potential strength this coming season? So um, Crook is out. And I think that Alabama game, that performance from that group changed the game. Now look, Bama's tremendous, right? So, but that old line was like deer in headlights that game. They, well, to be honest, Keith, it looked like they were like the coaching staff was kind of going into the game afraid of our offensive line. Like they almost knew we don't even trust these guys. Like no matter what happens on the field, like we're going to, we're going to run a game plan that's so vanilla and so almost scared because we have zero trust for it. That's, that's how they sort of played in my mind. And it didn't look yeah. anymore, right. There was domination on the field too. Yeah, I mean, you know, possibly, uh, but I, I think I'll say this. I, I think Luke knew that a change had to happen. Um, so they reassigned Cook, and now there's a new head of that unit. Um, and if there's one thing that Cummings is really good at, it's just flat-out great offensive line play. I mean, it's on his resume you know, when Eric Fisher was the number one overall pick, guess who was his position coach? Um, so I think the great thing about this unit is it's going to be the same guys. That's always a good thing when you have um, continuity and that experience. Um, and then when you add a guy who has done it at a high level and has produced really huge, big, dominant offensive linemen, I think that is going to be a really big strength of this team this year. You didn't, we couldn't say that last year. I mean, we were questioning them. I think they played well. There were some times where they didn't, obviously we remember the false starts in the first half against Indiana and, you know, don't remind me, right. But, um, but they, they figured it out. It took them a while, but they figured it out last year. I think from the jump, that is going to be a big strength of this team because again, continuity and a guy coming in that, He's just a no-nonsense guy who knows his stuff, man, and, and you trust his work and his resume. And, um, I mean, Luke has done a really good job of, you know, when he loses a coach, brings in a coach right behind him that, you know, just keeps it going, you know, and that's that's been a really big talent for Luke because it's tough when you're having this success and now your staff is ripe for the pickings. Like, everyone wants some, some of that Cincinnati flavor, so right. – Get Marcus Freeman in here. Let's get Enos in here. You know, Denbrock and whoever else. Um, but Luke has done a really good job of one coach in, another coach out, and let's keep this train moving. And Cummings is a tremendous example of just that. So um, I think the offensive line is going to be a big strength for this team come September. 
And the coaching change there was not a reactive change. That was one of the few proactive changes we were making where it wasn't a matter of reacting to a coaching departure that was saying what's been happening isn't good enough. And and this is an area we need to upgrade. And I do think that I expect it to be a strength through most of the year. The the bigger test will be matchups against the likes of Arkansas and SEC type teams. And I think that you can coach, coach that to an extent, but I do think that that's where we need to continued ramping up efforts on the recruiting front. Like those schools have great offensive lines themselves because they're recruiting some big ass, strong, nimble dudes uh, at that position. So I think we will continue to see improvement there as we continue to ramp up uh, the recruiting. Nothing too. Like, I think just on a basketball front or on a football front and a basketball front, the two strength guys that we have there in, in Brady and in, in, in the, the freaking and Ray felt monster factory. Yeah, Ray, I was going to say the monster, like two of the best in the business. I mean, you just, just look at the, this, this football team from just last season, just from the Alabama game, they look vastly different from just a physical, a physicality perspective, a pure, just coming out of the, the locker room. Like, wait a minute, who are these guys? Evan Prater. He's still a slender guy, but he's ripped now. Um, even Ben Bryant's a lot bigger than you remember seeing him a couple of seasons ago. So, you know, We'll, we'll learn a lot in that first in that first game, you know, in Arkansas, especially up front, is is how vastly improved or, or what this team will truly look like, um, especially like you said up front when we're dealing with those big boys there. So, I'm already excited. September third can get here. Sign it up. Let's go. Well, you mentioning the Monster Factory is the perfect time for me to transition to basketball, just for a bit of talk. I mean, there's a lot of unknowns and a lot of uncertainty, but I just I want to get some of your opinions on maybe how the season unfolded. Um, you know, there's actually, there's a lot of, di- there's a lot of differing opinions. Like there's some people who, who would call the season a remarkable performance by West Miller. I, I fall on the side of, you know, losing as many games as we, as we did to end the season. It, it, it's a disappointment. And I'm sure that he would call it that based on how the team closed the year. Um, we saw uh, a few players enter the transfer portal. We saw Mason Madsen, Rob Banks, AJ McGinnis, and most notably Mike Saunders Jr. All enter the transfer portal in addition to Abdul Adu and Hayden Koval um, using up all their eligibility. So when you, when you kind of look at it holistically in terms of how we close the season and then also some of the departures, where, where's your head at uh, with this basketball team last year heading into this new season? Yeah. I mean, the team regressed and that's unfortunate and that's discouraging if you're a UC basketball fan, you know, we see, we saw them play well against Arkansas and Illinois and in Kansas city. And we saw them open up conference play relatively well. And, um, and all of a sudden, you know, boom, nosedive. Wes's explanation for that is just a lack of practice. And you can say it's an excuse or whatever else, but if you really buckle down and look at that team, you had a team, a bunch of guys that never played with each other before. And look, it's, it's Wes's responsibility to figure out how to overcome the scheduling and figure out even though the practice reps are being diminished, we still got to keep this thing afloat. And he owned that. Like, I need to figure out a better way to make sure these guys are better prepared on game day despite the lack of practice time. But, you know, when they had opportunities to practice, they looked like a vastly different team, right? I mean, it's not a, it's, it's, it's the truth. I mean, they had an opportunity to, to prepare for East Carolina in the open round, they looked really good in that game. They had an opportunity to prepare for Houston. Um, they looked good in that game. 
Um, they lost still, but they looked good in that game. They looked a lot better, a lot vastly improved in that game. I think what's what what, what like Mike Mike Saunders, Mason Madison's not good enough to play here. Sorry, I love Mason. I think he's awesome. I think he's a great, I think he's a tremendous. Um, uh, he's a, a great ambassador for a university. I mean, no, like he's, he's everything not, you want in a college athlete. This, except- this isn't this is not a mid-major program. It's not. And especially when you're chasing the likes of Houston, but also Baylor and Kansas, because that's right around the corner and Iowa State and the others that are in the Big 12. Um, it's, it's, tra- it's, it's time to get back to recruiting, you know, the top notch four star, five star guys. That's how this program is built up, was built on long before Wes and, 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 and John Brandon, even Mick Cronin got here. Um, and that's where it has to get back to. And that's where Wes and Chad Dollar and the rest of the guys are looking toward. Um, and also it's it's getting guys in the transfer portal that you look at teams that were successful this year, the transfer portal played a huge role in, in the success of these teams. And you look at North Carolina and the kid they got from Oklahoma, you look at Kansas and the kids that they got, um, that transfer portal was huge. I mean, I look at the guy, the guy, what's his name? Johnny Brown, I think, the OVC Defensive Player of the Year. You know, Cincinnati has reached out to him. If he comes along, that's a guy who's not only a tremendous defender, but who can put the ball in the basket from the interior, and that's what Cincinnati needed. Like, you know, what Cincinnati needed was Tari Eason. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they had a guy like Tari. to tell me twice. Can fill in the paint and put up some points and be a great defender also and, and – and, you know, reach over from the weak side and snatch a block off the off the backboard. But you know, just as as, as great guys as Hay, as Hayden Koval and and Koval and, and and Adu were, you know, you got to get some offensive production from those interior guys, and we just couldn't get that. You know, you think if we could have just gotten, you know, sixteen points total from those guys and a few offensive rebounds from those guys, and I'm not talking monster numbers, but just look at how much of a different season we're looking at, you know, those single digit losses are now victories. Um, so anyway, but I think with David DeJulius coming back, Mike Saunders Jr. I know fans were upset about that. He was a fan favorite, another great kid, a spark plug off the bench. He was the sixth starter as Wes Miller liked to call it. But again, you know, is he good enough to play here? Right? Like I think Mike Saunders is a great young man and a great player. I think he's a guy that is a, 10 to 15 minute guy off the bench guy for the program that you want to have here. And I think, I think Wes probably told him like, look, you can stay here, but you know, David is going to continue to be the number one guard. Shuey is staying here. We got another guard coming in. We're going to go into the, the portal. So you're not going to be a starter here. And that's what Mike Saunders wants. He wants an opportunity to go somewhere where he can be that starting point guard. He's not going to get that here. So as, as, as painful as it was for some fans to see him leave, he wants an opportunity to be that starter, and hopefully he gets it at Utah. And I'm happy for him. And now he's, he's reunited with the other Madsen brother, and I hope it really works out because he's a great kid, a great young man. Um, but I, I still think as, as dim as last season was, um, I think that this, this ship is headed in the right direction. I said ship. I didn't say the other word. Um, so... I think that fans should still be encouraged, man. And I think when you got recruiters um, like Chad Dollar on your roster, man, I mean, it's they're going to figure this thing out and they're going to figure it out because they have to. You yeah, know, they're, this- they're elephant hunting for sure. Like you can no, see what the offers are putting out with high yeah, schoolers. No, like they're clearly it's, it's, 
this the, t- the talent has to go to a different level than it was with Cronin in his final days. Like this wasn't this moving into the Big Twelve. It has to be different. But I do wonder the, the Saunders thing was interesting to me because if we learn one thing during Wes's first year, he made his decisions on his rotations at the start of the year, and they didn't yeah. change. They You're did right. not change based on what was happening on the court. And the nitpick I have, and and to be fair to Wes. This, they're like the best of a lot of maybe average at best or bad options in terms of Mike Adams Woods had a, had a very rough season. He, he had major regression last year, couldn't buy a bucket, uh, lots of missed layups. And that was trending negatively as the season wore on and we didn't see adjustments. Now you could attribute it to, I've got David DeJulius at the two. He's a six foot. That's not Mike. I don't, I don't cut you off, but I can tell you the problem with this team last year. And I, I just want to give you my input with, with, and you can continue your thought. Jeremiah Davenport should have been better. You know, after being named second team all conference preseason, we expected him to take this massive leap and he didn't. Um, let me ask you about that though. So, well, I got a cut. Well, let me finish. Okay. Give me a couple. Give me Kelvin, a couple. Kelvin, Kelvin Sampson said, after that game in the AEC tournament, he said, he sat there on the podium and said, Jeremiah Davenport, we knew Jeremiah Davenport can't get his own shot. Yes. So if I'm Jeremiah Davenport, if I'm Wes Miller, I'm showing that footage to Jeremiah. And I'm going, this coach, the, the best coach in the conference, just said he knows that you can't create your own basket. Get your ass in the gym and work on your handle." He can't take people off the dribble. That's a problem. If his if his threes are going down early, Jeremiah's engaged and he's knocking down shots and he's happy. If those first few threes don't fall, we know instantly what kind of night Jeremiah is going to have. He's going to clock out. He's going to get disengaged. And, and his gonna- de- his defense. I mean, he had the worst effort on defense on the team. No by, doubt about by, it. By, by I, an avalanche. And I think that that I think if his offense isn't rolling, it in, it impacts his entire game. Now, when he gets on the other end, eh, I mean, think of the Arkansas game. And this, 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 that game really bothered me because they made the decision, Arkansas, to face guard him. We're just going to take him out of the game. And instead of finding other ways to get open and to generate offense for his teammates and to stay use in the- your Use your attention as an advantage to your other four guys on the court. He just decided I'm not going to play that now. So my point is, is that, Wes Miller, I'm sure, is having a conversation with J.D. going, we need you to be that guy. We can't have the only playmaker on our team be a six-foot guard. And then what happened throughout that year is teams figured out the only guy who can create offensively for the Bearcats is David DeJulius. If we can take him out of the game, they're not going to beat us. So game after game after game, Shuey can't create. Mike Saunders Jr. can't create consistently enough. And I know we love Mike, but it got to the point where he was a little bit out of control with the ball, right? And then it wasn't until late in the season where that three ball started to fall a little bit consistently for him. But if we have a guard who's coming off the bench who can't hit threes, and that's what they're giving us, what good are you really? If Mason Madsen, if that's your game and you can't even hit down threes consistently, and that's literally why you're here, that's why you're here to hit yeah, that. Yeah, he became a shooter who can't shoot. Like, that's what it so, became. So. I, I do. That's where you're. That's where I can't really. There's no counter argument. There's no counter argument to lack of shot creation on the team, and that's that's the handcuffs that Wes had on him last year in terms of what different lineup combinations you could have. I where I come back to though is 
at what point is Wes Miller holding Jeremiah Davenport accountable for the style of play? We saw him from game one to game 32 chucking, chucking threes and, and not ever really getting pulled aside and saying, Hey, come to the bench for a minute and talk to me. This that's not a good shot. Like we want freedom. We want, we want autonomy, but that shot can't continue to happen. And we saw the same decisions throughout the year. And he's not going to ever beat people off the dribble. He's not a very quick player. It's just not going to happen. And that's okay. He can still be an effective player. There were opportunities to get him involved in the post. He's got good size. And he actually showed a, a decent knack at getting good looks when operating in the post. But we saw it far too often. And those are the kind of things where I feel like there's opportunities for growth from Wes. You know, like you're, you're following up a coach who's being known for – I mean, John Brandon had a lot of flaws and they're, they're widely reported, all that jazz. And he, he obviously over, it almost seems like he overcorrected. Like I'm working with a group now that I need to sort of build up emotionally and kind of give them a longer leash to make mistakes and, and kind of just have free flowing basketball out there. But I feel like it came to a detriment where at the end of the year, we just saw horrible decision after horrible decision. Yeah. I, um, I think Wes learned a lot this year. I think he uh, and he talked about him having to go through this long, drawn out process of just evaluation, self-evaluation of, of what how he needs to improve as a coach and, you know, things that he learned. I think you I think he came in wanting to be this uber positive players coach, especially giving given what just happened here. Right. You got these guys who just had a coach that you know, maybe was, you know, just, you know, a um, disciplinarian, if you will. And I think, you know, Wes was like, well, let's switch it up. Let's, let's give guys some freedom and let's laugh and let's have some fun. And, and it should be fun. It's a freaking sport. It's a game. That's correct. Yeah. Um, That's important. But I think at some point you're right. I think you got to go look, man, I want you guys to have freedom, but this is ridiculous. (laughs) You know, (laughs) that's what I was looking for. Like guys at some point, like, cool. The social media content is fun. Cool, cool but I, I think, like, but at some point, like, guys, we got to play basketball, defend, and make good choices. Like, we can't just Wes. Wes knew. Look, John Cunningham has full faith in Wes Miller. He knew that he's going to have at least another season or two after this one here. So he's going to like. I, I'm, I'm thinking that Wes is like, let me not throw all of me into this first year. Let me slowly get my culture in here, and but once I get the guys that I like. Hayden's gone, Adu's gone. Let me get some guys who are really my guys and guys that I really want to get in there. Because look, and I tell fans all the time, remember what he inherited. Like, just remember what yes. got here, what this program looked like. So the, his goal was to just, can I just freaking get a team? I got to just guys to fill a roster and be able to play this schedule. He did that. Now it's, let me get a really freaking good basketball team in here. Some guys who can really ball. Let me get my thing really going now. So I do think we will see a different Wes Miller. I'm not saying he's going to be this uber mean disciplinarian, but I think we're going to see more of what he wants this thing to look like because we'll have more of his guys, more of his influence, um, and he'll just be more comfortable in this role. So I think we can only expect things to go up from here. David DeJulius coming back is huge. I think he's a great player. Um, but he can't be your only playmaker. And I think Jeremiah Davenport has to take it upon himself. I disagree with you in that. I do believe if a, if he had a better handle, he would be a much better player. Now, he has the size and the athleticism 
to beat a lot of guys off the dribble. He just, is he athletic? Are we sure he's athletic? I think he is athletic. No doubt. No doubt. Is he the most athletic? No, but he's athletic enough, especially when he's up against an undersized guard who's six, two, and he's six, seven, man, I can take you on the block. I can. That's what I'm saying, man. I want Jeremiah Davenport on the block next year. I want him using that physicality on the block next year, but it's not even, and I agree with that. No, no doubt. But also I think, look at how long he is. Right. So imagine a guy like, and I'm not saying he's Dirk, or, or <laughs> don't, don't do it like, to, don't do it in no, basketball no. yeah but my point is is that what i love about dirk and katie's game he's not that but the length of being able to shoot over anyone jd has that length he's a long six seven it was, it was a blessing two years ago right i i love that about him that he's long can get a shot off over everybody last year it became a curse because he could get a shot off over everybody and so he was just chucking through and it's not it's not even threes that are within the offense. It's no. just like I got a I got a millimeter of space or heat check or like it's just not good offense. And I look, I'm not you, you and I know this. You don't think Wes Miller knows this? You don't I, right conversations are being had. It's like, look, I know this is what we did last year. We are not doing this next year. And they're like Breaking news, he had a conversation with Shuey to go, hey, man, do you ship up or ship out? Because, you know, so Shuey was like, I'm good. You'll see a better me next year. But they had that conversation of, like, if you're going to be our starting point guard, and I'm not saying Shuey will be that next year, but if you're going to stay on this team, we're going to need more quality minutes from you. That game, and I can't remember what, who the opponent was, but he scored like 21 points that night. East Carolina. Um, that was an East Carolina yeah, game. Yeah. That was a great game for Shuey. That's that was the, the last the last time we saw Shuey all year. We need to see, um, and I, I'll be curious to see if if Wes at all works on Shuey's shooting motion. And I'm saying you gotta you gotta completely change it. But he's got this really crazy windup when it comes off of his head, and it's just it's is that it's not a good shot. So I, you know I just think Wes Miller is going to take his time and really he had a lot of other things that he had to figure out heading into last season. Now that he's here, he's got a year under his belt. He's got more of his thing going on here. I think we'll see really him try to say, all right, let's really put my footprint in on this thing and let's really make this program what it is that I want it to be. So don't freak out too much, fans. I know last season sucked, but it'll be better. I promise you it will be. Yeah, definitely don't freak out. Um, and I, I do think that David DeJulius coming back is a good thing so long as we start seeing him. I actually just kind of want him to be the de facto point guard. Um, I don't want to see a six foot backcourt again for most of the game. You know, like let's, we need some size in the game. There's some, there's some interesting, very talented freshmen coming in who could potentially um, Daniel Skillings. I'm looking at you that can, that can offer some size and offer some additional length and rebounding. Like I think that was part of the weakness defensively. So Keith, I've kept you plenty long and this was a, a great conversation. What do you have on deck for people? What should people be on the lookout from you? As soon as I'm done, I got to finish a Wilson Huber feature. Um, I'm really proud of this one. Um, long story short, Wilson is entering his sixth season with the Bearcats. His dad played here at Cincinnati. He was a tight end in the 80s. Um, but the biggest thing about Wilson is he is a freaking genius. Um, he's got two degrees. He's got, a, he's got his bachelor's. He's got his master's. He's got a certificate. Um, he's got a 3.9 GPA. I think as a former, you know, quick story, when I was in high school, I sucked at chemistry, awful. And I had a chemistry teacher, um, a four foot eight Asian lady, uh, Miss Chow, who used to call me dumb football player. And, um, 
you know, in the moment I was frustrated by that, not because I was like offended, but because I really wanted to freaking learn this. Like I, to this day, isotopes and ions and then the bonding, I still don't understand that. Um, but I was like going to help night and I was really trying to like figure this out because it was bothering me that I just couldn't get it. And, um, and if people know, like I went to Warner Hills High School in Cincinnati, college prep, smart school. So like I have brains, I just could not freaking figure out chemistry. Um, but what I love about Wilson is he, he really prioritizes his academics. And I think it's important to highlight that because in addition to the amazing season that the football team had last year, they did really, really well academically and everyone graduated. And I think that's something that should be highlighted. So I'm gonna do a story on Wilson Huber. And also he's going to be um, the new leader of that Black Cats defense. He will be the middle linebacker. He will be the quarterback of that, that, that defensive unit. Um, so he will be the leader of that group. So get to knowing Wilson Huber and what he's gonna bring to the table. And um, he's positioned himself to have a special year and he's a great athlete and long. So anyway, that's the story that I'm working on is Wilson Huber. So um, check out that. It's, it, it'll be on Cincinnati.com and on your doorsteps and on newsstands shortly. We'll be on the lookout for it. Uh, again, appreciate your time joining the Cincy Slang and Bearcat podcast today. Shout out today. to Westside Brewing. Shout out to Westside Brewing. Great beer. Um, <laughs> and then also you can follow Keith on Twitter at Mr. Keith Jenkins. I think it's the same handle on Instagram as well, where um, if you want a, a, a sneaky good reason to follow you on Instagram is uh, you've got great music taste. And so if you want to oh, kind of experience that, get some good recommendations. I didn't realize that Pusha had a new song out until I saw your Instagram. It's amazing. So um, Keith, again, thanks. Appreciate it. And uh, I'll make sure we have you on again uh, sooner than we did this last time. Less of a gap. My man, I appreciate it. Take it easy, man. You too.